Amen. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, this didn't happen to me this year, but many years at Christmas time, I've either bought something for someone or someone's giving me something. And I remember when our children were small, and I would uh, we'd go buy something for them and get it home, and then, you know, Christmas Eve, you start putting it together. And you see this little sign on the side of the box that said, Assembly Required. Oh, I didn't read that. <laughs> and then it tells you the tools you're going to need. Most of them, you know, if you open up, there's instructions in there. You're going to need a screwdriver that looks like this. You're going to need a wrench that looks like this. You're going to need an engineering degree. You know, this, you know. <laughs> there's some of them I had to put together that it took somebody. There's some, some sadistic person there decide to purposely not line the holes up so that at 2 in the morning on Christmas, you're trying to get this pin through something that nowhere, no way it's going to fit. So, so we're all familiar with the idea that assembly is required. Well, we're going to see, we're talking about, about, and we're going to continue today to talk about God's preparation because we've just come through the Christmas season, which is about Jesus' first coming. And most of what we talked about on Sunday mornings was preparing for His second coming. We look back and celebrate His first coming, but there's nothing we can do about that. The more we learn about it and grow in it, it can help affect us. But it's His second coming that we still can do something about in our own lives. And we see that the Word of God says so much about His coming again. We saw that it refers to it over 300 times in the New Testament. Paul himself refers to it over 50 times. And so the Bible talks about his second... doesn't give us a lot of detail. There's different theories about when and who and all this stuff. But what we do know for certain is he's coming again. And we do know when he comes, we're going to stand before him. So that means we're called to be prepared and to be ready. We've already looked at a couple of things. We've looked at the first thing to be ready is to make sure that, first of all, you're saved. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you, just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're saved. What it takes to be saved is to face the fact that you're a sinner, that you, by your own goodness, fall woefully short of what God requires, and therefore you need a Savior, and that Jesus is the Savior that God has given to you, and you personally call upon Him and receive Him into your life as your Savior, and you turn your life over to Him to be your Lord. The Bible calls that being born again. The second thing we looked at, and that was several weeks ago, is the second thing the Bible tells us about being ready, and really the first thing it addresses to the church is, wake up! Just that was in case anybody was asleep there. <clears throat> wake up! We need to awake and figure, find out where we are, where we are spiritually, because we can go through routines and get into routines and kind of just kind of float along and not realize where we are. And so, you know, sometimes you get up in the morning and you've got to get into that shower to wake you up. Something to give us a wake-up call, an alarm clock. That wa- I was in a nice, deep sleep this morning. And that alarm went off again. I told you about my alarm. It has a harp sound. <laughs> That's so I don't take the throne and phone and throw it out the window. Because there's not, you know, waking up to the old alarm clock. But it does the job. Sometimes these new alarms with the soft harp sounds and the snooze buttons, they're pleasant, but they don't do the job. Sometimes we need a to wake us up, and we saw that we need a wake-up call. Now, the, the next point that I want to get into, I'm going to skip ahead 
to the, the sixth point because it really is appropriate for this morning. And that's in Hebrews chapter 10. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I'm not going to spend time this morning to go through a lot of the background of Hebrews to be, because I, I want to get into the main point here. But he's talking here about reminding them of, who God is, of what God has done for them. And he's talking about uh, um, the, Jesus is the high priest. And because he's the high priest, he's come and he shed his blood for us. And it says in verse 21, because of who he is and what he's done, we can draw near to, we can draw near to God in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil consciousness and our bodies washed with pure waters. Now, as a result of this, he tells us to do some things. First is to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So that's something we've got to do because he who's promised is faithful. We just sang about His faithfulness. So all you got to do is hold on to the hope of your confession of faith in Christ, and He who's faithful will do what He's promised. Now verse 24. This is what something else He tells us to do. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now the word consider there is very interesting because it means literally to immerse yourself in the awareness of something. Consider to us can mean all kinds of things. It can mean, you know, uh, 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 you know. Well, you know, I, well, I kind of considered that. I took it. In, I took it into consideration. I thought about it. You know, I kind of gave it some thought, but I decided not to do that. But Hebrews chapter three verse one says that we are to consider Jesus the high priest of our confession. Well, it doesn't mean to just have some passing thought about him. It literally means to set him in front of you as a model, as an example that because he's our high priest, we can follow after him. So it means to look at, study, to to immerse yourself in and allow to have an impact on you. So here he's telling us in verse 24, we're to do that for one another. We're to have an impact on one another. We're to consider one another, not just kind of look and say, yeah, oh, I've, con- you know, I've considered Brendan, I've taken a look at him. You kind of see in Job, you see this same word, it's in Hebrew, so it's not the exact same word, but it's the same idea where God points, Satan comes before God's throne and, and God points down to Job and says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you taken a look at him? I mean, take a good look at Job, because he's a righteous man. He serves me with a righteous heart. And so it's, it's to look at one another and give careful consideration to, because we impact one another. And see, we can come in a church of this size, we can come in and we can leave and we can smile at people and say, hello, how are you? I'm blessed, you're blessed, we're all blessed. Isn't that wonderful how blessed we all are? It's good to see you, you know, God love you, and leave here and not have had an impact on one another. And that's not God's will. And that's not God's provision. Many of you struggle with things that God has an answer for you, and you're looking to God to drop the answer on you, but we're going to discover this year that answer often comes from one another and through one another. I can't tell you the times that I've come in. So we're the pastor. I've come in sometimes, and just I just, you know, it was one of those days where you're here. You know, and you, you may not want to be here, but you're here because this is where you're supposed to be. And I did that for 20, 20, no, 10 years before I was even on staff. So I didn't do it because I'm the pastor. I did it before I was the pastor. It just, you're, you're in church on Sunday. That's why some people say, why do you have a church service on Christmas morning? Because it was Sunday. Why do we have a church service on New Year's morning? Because it's Sunday. And Sunday, we're in church regardless of what the day is. Because it's the Lord's day and we put Him first. And so, so but I've had days when I come in where I'm, I'm just, my flesh doesn't want to be here. 
And one of you will come up and say, Pastor, it's so good to see you. And you know what? Everything just turns around. You've had an impact on me. We have an impact on one another. And so the, the writer of Hebrews is here saying that we're to consider one another, not judge one another, not think and say, well, I wonder what kind of Christian they are. That's not what he means by consider. It means to allow to have an impact on each other. Now, we are to consider one another. Why? And he tells us why. We're to consider one another to stir up love in, in good works. Now, some translations say provoke to. Now, <laughs> Sometimes we provoke one another, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about stir one another up to love and good works. Now, one of the ways we do that is by setting an example. You may not realize it, but one of you, you, some of you have an effect on me because I'll see you do something and it'll challenge me. You know what? I need to improve in that area. And, and, and you may do that for one another. You hear, instead of saying, well, my goodness, they're a much better Christian than I am, that we need to let one another influence one another for love and good work, not the other way around. Now, sometimes we have the other effect on each other. We'll come in and, you know, one, one of us will be up and the other's kind of down and the other takes our down and just spews it all over everybody. Now everybody around you is down. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that because he says, he warns us, he says, don't allow a root of bitterness to get formed in you because if you do, it may defile many other people. The attitudes of our heart are contagious. Proverbs talks a whole lot. It's the counsel of a father to his son. Proverbs talks a whole lot of the father giving counsel to his son about who he hangs out with. Why? Because who we associate with affect our attitudes, affect the heart issues. Because it's contagious. Heart issues are contagious. Faith is contagious. Generosity is contagious. Discouragement is contagious. A foul spirit is contagious. Envy is contagious. All those things are contagious and we affect one another. And here we're being challenged to affect one another, to love and good works. It doesn't mean getting behind somebody and poking them in the back and saying, you need to love more, you need to do better at good works. It means to be around them and set an example that becomes a challenge and an encouragement to one another. I'm sure all of you have had the experience of somebody when you're down encouraging you, and it may not have been by something they just said to you that you can make it. It just may be them being around them. You realize, I'm now around somebody who's got a positive attitude, and that begins to rub off on you. So here he's telling us that we are, we are to consider one another, be, con- be aware of one another, and that we are to influence one another to love and good works. Now, verse 25, and this is how this happens. This will not happen in verse 24 if we do not do verse 25. And verse 25 says, and here's how you do that, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. That means coming together as a body. Now, pastors use this to beat us up, you know, about we need to be in church. And I promised you when I took this, stepped into this role that I would never beat you up. I would never prod you, that I would try as best to set an example. Because shepherds don't drive, they lead. But the Word of God says... Notice the rest of that verse. Let's get into the rest of that verse because this is why we're talking about this in this context. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting. That word means to encourage. That's the same word that's translated comforter for the Holy Spirit. It's parakleo, which means someone called alongside to aid and assist, comfort, encourage, and strengthen. So we are to, we are to, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting, encouraging, strengthening, doing just exactly what the Holy Spirit is called to do. Oh, this is so good. Because you see, we think the Holy Spirit's kind of floating out there somewhere. And when He's my helper, He's going to just kind of descend on me and help me. But I've found in my life that most of the time when the Holy Spirit helps me, it's through somebody else. I'll try that over here. It's through somebody else. (laughs) Preacher, talk about the Lord. Talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't want to talk about us today. But He lives in you. He dwells in you. So very often when we call upon the helper to help, He wants to use one of us to help others of us. And what that may well mean is that He may want to use you to help or encourage or strengthen someone else. So maybe, just possibly, God wants us to learn that when we come to church, we don't come primarily with the attitude of what am I going to get out of it. This is a revolutionary thought. But maybe He wants us to come with the attitude of what do I have to give to someone else. I remember years ago, when we first saved, and, and I don't know what we were going through right at the time, but I remember standing in the kitchen of our house in Belmont, and it's like both of us had fallen into the hole at the same time. Ever, if a couple ever do that, you know, when one of you's down in a discouragement or something, the other's positive and pick each other up, but we both, I don't know what the circumstances were, and I just remember crying out, we we're new Christians, I'm crying out to God, I'm in trouble, I don't know how to get out of this, I feel so low and so discouraged and so beaten down, I don't know what I'm going to do, you're going to have to do something to help me, and the phone rang, and I picked up the phone hoping it was God. And it was someone I knew that was discouraged and going through a tough time and they were calling me for encouragement. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, God. Something's wrong in my... I got something wrong in my prayer here. You don't understand. I need... I need somebody calling me with answers, not with problems. And I got no answer from God. So I've either got to talk to this person on the phone or I've got to be rude and hang up at them. So I decided to suck it up and just give them the best I had. But you know what happened? As I began to listen to them and talk to them and listen inside of what to share, guess what happened? I came out of where I was. Why? Because God got my eyes off of me and what I was going through, and had me help somebody else with what I had in me. And as I began to give away, 
what I had in me would seem to me like it was hardly anything at all. But see, Jesus said to the disciples, I don't care how much food you have to feed these 5,000. Take what you have and bring it to me. And they looked at it and said, but it's a little boy's lunch. It can't feed anybody. But Jesus says, if you bring it to me and I'll bless it and multiply it. So whatever little bit you think you have that you don't think is enough, you offer it, you give it. The widow's might, you give it and you watch what God does back through you. And this is the way he designed it. It's not a mistake. God designed it this way. And that's why he tells us, don't forsake assembling together. Because you see, and I taught you this almost all of the year before, 2010, God does not look at us as, I don't know, eight or 900 individuals that come to church on a Sunday morning. God sees us as the body of Christ. Now, we're only a portion of it, but we're one part of this body, like my hand is one part of this body, but it's made up of different parts. And in order for this hand to be effective, these parts have to work together. And Satan's scheme is to keep a church splintered and divided as individuals so that we come and worship together, give together, do serve together, but we don't do it together. We come as individuals to a same place, and then we leave separately as we came separately. Oh no, we may bless one another, but there's not a connection and commitment of our hearts to one another. That's why we started, God had us start this last year, these connect groups. They're designed to be a vehicle by which we can begin to develop trust and relationship at a more meaningful level. And that's a, that's a program that's going to be so important this year and going to grow. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I want to read through some scriptures. And then I want to talk a little bit more and then we'll, we'll end. Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples on a number of occasions in verse 4. And being assembled uh together. We're going to see some things happened when they were assembled together. The Bible talks a whole lot about corporate prayer, praying together as a group. It talks about worshiping together as a group. It talks about studying together as a group. There's so much more power when the body has come together. When your body feels together, don't you feel better? Ever feel out of sorts? That means your things just don't feel right in you. Well, you're not, you're not the, at your very best. But when you're feeling good and everything's working right in you and there's no pain and, you know, everything's working, you're breathing right, everything's going right, all your systems are working right, you feel good. It's called good health. And therefore, you can function better. Well, that same is true of his body. being all assembled together and with them. So he was with them when they assembled. We'll talk more about that at the end. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me on high, and goes on and says, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 12. What's happened now is Jesus has now been ascended into heaven. We looked at this verse, these verses when we first started. He said, being assembled into heaven, they returned to Jerusalem from a mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room, which is where they'd been hanging out before. 
So what happens is they, they're together for the Last Supper. Jesus is crucified, but they're still hanging out in this same place. This is some 50 days later. Jesus has come and appeared to them when they're gathered together. He's appeared to some of them when they weren't gathered together. And now in this last time, He appears to them one last time, but notice He appears to them when they're assembled together because He's telling them something together. And now He goes out. He goes to the, top, the Mount of Ascension and he's, he's raised up into heaven. He ascends into heaven. We talked about this before. They're standing there watching. An angel, two angels appear and says, why are you looking up there? Because the same Jesus that left is going to come back. And that's what we're talking about. Getting ready for the same Jesus to come back. Of course, we found out he's not going to come back in a white robe looking like he did then. He's going to come back the way he appears in Revelation chapter 1 in all his glory and majesty. And now once he did did that, the instructions are, go back to church, go back to the upper room, go back and assemble together again. So that's what they do. They come back, they return from Jerusalem to the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they all, and they all... And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That means seeking God. And with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and he preaches a sermon. Notice, there were about 120 of them still hanging out together. Why? They didn't know what was going to happen next. All they knew, all they knew is that Jesus left them and said He was coming back. All they knew is they'd seen Him ascend into heaven and two angels told Him He was coming back. That's all they knew. They didn't know when. They didn't know what was going to happen between now and then. They didn't know that Acts chapter 2 was about to happen. They didn't know that they were going to start churches. They didn't know that it was going to start Christianity. That, they were, that term had not even been used yet. They didn't know anything except they'd been told to wait together and that he was coming back. Now, of course, we're more sophisticated than they were. We know a whole lot more. Well, we have the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So we have more information And, of course, we got the Internet and all kinds of other resources at our disposal. And sometimes I think because of that, we think we know so much. But in terms of what God's about to do, we don't know a whole lot more than they did. So we really should have the same attitude that they had. They were expecting something. They were thinking He was going to come back any day. Uh Aha! Guess what? He could come back any day. We're not in any different situation than they were in terms of the Lord's return. So what did they do? They clung together. They banded themselves together and strengthened one another. And they came together because when they were together, they encouraged one another in love and good works. And also their binding together unified them in their seeking of Him, in their getting ready. 
Well, let's go on because we'll find out some of the things that happened to them. Chapter 2. And when on the day of Pentecost, this is a few days later, they had all, they had, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they're still in this one place waiting. You're saying, Pastor, does that mean we've got to stay here in church? No. <laughs> it's not physically, it's the attitude. And notice they're creating an atmosphere, their unity. They're being together. They're being one unit together is creating an atmosphere. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and it sat on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then what happens is they can't hold it in the church now. They can't contain this experience of the church and it spills out into the streets. Oh my goodness. The church actually getting out into the streets? There's another revolution. This is our year for revolutionary thoughts. It wasn't because they had an evangelism program. It wasn't because the pastors came up with this evangelism program and said, now here's what we need to do next. They couldn't contain it. They couldn't contain it. Maybe the reason our evangelism programs haven't been more effective is maybe we're doing most of it in our own strength and not with what Jesus told the church. He said, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with programs from on high. It isn't that? It doesn't say that? I don't need to go back up and look. No, until you're endued with Maybe we've not really yet known that power of the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, we may speak in tongues, but as the power of the Spirit were released in such a way that we cannot contain it within the four walls of this building? Not yet, but I believe that's coming this year. I believe that's coming. But notice the key. They were all together, all together in one That doesn't mean they all agreed on everything because you're never going to get everybody to agree on everything. But they had one purpose, one focus, one commitment. They didn't even know exactly what it meant. They just knew they were committed to do whatever it is that he called them to do together. All right, let's go and look quickly over in Acts chapter... Well, let's look at verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. This is Peter saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who received the word were baptized, and that day there were 3,000, about 3,000 souls added to the church. That's not bad for one day, church, one altar call. And they, con- look at this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that means the teaching of the word, and fellowship, that means communion together, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The breaking of bread refers to sharing the Lord's table together. And in in prayer, in what? In what? In prayers. They actually came together 
and prayed together. Then fear came upon every soul. That's not scared. That's a reverence for God. That's what's desperately needed in the church. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And don't get nervous on these next verses. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. That's not saying that we need to go all out tomorrow or Tuesday whenever everything's open and sell everything you have and come live here. That's not what that's saying. But here's what it is saying. They had such a heart for one another that they didn't care so much about what they had. All they cared about, listen carefully, is that their brothers and sisters' needs were taken care of. And therefore, they voluntarily, not because they had to, not because they were told to, they voluntarily took the things they had, converted them into resources that could be shared, and voluntarily shared them with one another. There's some of us, some of you out there today, and some of us in this church that are going through serious financial struggles. And I have been seeking God through 2011. What do we do? How do we meet people's needs? And God opened my eyes at the end of the year. He says, the answer's sitting in blue chairs. I've already made provision. He says, I'm not going to drop it out of heaven. He doesn't have it, by the way. There's no, if you need money, He doesn't have it in heaven. The money's in the earth. The resources are in the earth. And the heart that they had, first of all, the love that they had for one another, the recognition that they had that they belonged to one another was so strong that of their own free will, they, ought, they just sold what they had and they shared it. They brought it into the apostles and they shared it to meet every need. Now, we're not being called to do that, but we are called to have that heart. And if you begin to have that heart, what you'll find is the Holy Spirit will begin to move on you. When the Garcias were here with us, I think it was in October, I was sharing some of these things with him. He says, that happened in their church. There were real financial struggles. I mean, we're talking about in Mexico, where they didn't have much. And an outbreak of giving began to take place simply within the congregation, not into the church, but sharing of things. People gave trucks to one another. People gave... The amazing things were given. And as a result, a flow started of generosity and of giving. And as that flow started, people's needs began to be met. So many of you are looking for God to meet your need, and God's the source of it. But He wants to use people. And here again, we go to this revolutionary thought. Maybe He wants to use you as a vehicle to meet someone else's needs. Just like when I gave that little bit of inc- that I had in my heart to that person on the phone, and then what happened? The life of God began to stir in me again. I gave by getting. So we're going to learn this year about what the Bible teaches about sowing and reaping. We've spent a, a, a large part of the end of this year talking about a God that's more than enough, a God whose heart is generous. We have His nature. And when we begin to flow in that generosity and giving, we begin to take, put on the character of our God. And His wisdom and His life begins to flow in you. Praise God. All right, let's move on. <laughs>
Look at verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That's where their connect groups. And they ate their food with gladness. And look at this. Simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as would be added to the church. And the Lord added. The Lord added. The Lord added. And I will build my church. The Lord added to the church daily. Why? Because of the relationship of unity and commitment that they had to one another. Let's go quickly to Acts chapter 4. What's happened here? Peter and John have healed a man. At the, I mean, Jesus healed it through him. A man who was at the gate, beautiful. And they get arrested. They get beaten. They get sent out again and commanded not to preach in his name. And we're going to pick up in verse 23. And being let go, they went, their way, they went to their own companions and reported to them that what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voice to God with one accord. In other words, they were, they, Peter and John didn't go and call a prayer meeting. There was already a meeting going on. They were already assembled together. And they came to the meeting that was already assembled. And now when they hear the problem that they're being confronted with, they raise their voice in one accord. It's not inconceivable that in this year to come, things in this nation may change drastically and that we may find we need each other far more than we realize we need each other now. We need each other now, we just don't see how much yet. But it was the urgent situations that they faced that drove them to face how much they needed one another. When Lafayette Scales was here in April of last year, a phrase came to me at the end, and he talked to me about it afterwards. He says, that's exactly right. I said, the day's coming when all we're going to have is Jesus and each other. That's all they had. They just had Jesus and each other, and they turned the world upside down. That's all we need, is Jesus and each other. There's so much other stuff in our life that we don't need. We need Jesus and each other. Because notice it says, in the simplicity. It's the simplicity. All right. Let's go over to verse... Um, they, this is what they do is they cry out with one accord in prayer. Verse 31. And when they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. Now, I've been here 22 years. I can't tell you how many prayer meetings I've been in. But I've never been in a prayer meeting where this building shook. But I know of stories where that's happened. I know of a story where in a prayer meeting, Lester Summerall had a prayer meeting, and the fire truck showed up. And they said, why are you here? She said, because we got a report that there's flames on your roof. And they went out and looked, there were flames on the roof, but the building wasn't on fire. It was the glory of God. And we're not talking about the book, book of Acts. We're talking about, I don't know, 50 years ago. All right, let's go over to... Um, Chapter 12, again, Peter's been arrested. An angel has appeared. They have a prayer meeting. An angel appears, delivers him. No, yeah, chapter 12. Is that what I told you? Chapter 12, 11. And when Peter had come to himself, because an angel had to hit him and get him up, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod. Literally, an angel had to wake him up, because he's supposed to be executed, wake him up, 
shackles draw off of him, the door of the prison opens up, and prison doors open as he goes out, as this angel goes out with him, gets him outside, and the angel disappears. So where's Peter going to go? He's going to go to church. And guess what? There were people in church. And they were there praying. Let's look at verse, yeah, okay. So when he considered this, verse 12, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where there were many gathered together praying. This is where he knocks on the door, and you can tell the great faith they had because Rhoda answers the door, sees Peter, slams the door in his face and goes back and says, it's a ghost. (laughs) They weren't ready for their prayer to be answered. But the point is they were already there. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Now this one's not a model of what I think is going to happen. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, that's to share the Lord's table together, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued in his message until midnight. I said, this is not a prophecy of what's to come. There were many... And what happens is he preaches so long, a young man named Eutychus is sitting on the, on the, in the second story window, falls out of the window and hits the pavement, dead. So it interrupts the service. So Paul goes down and stretches himself out on him, the way Elijah did on the young man, and he comes back to life, and Paul goes back up and finishes his message. Now, one of the reasons that I didn't think of this until now, one of the reasons I believe to share this message now is to challenge us. And me too. We all have our own routines. We go to church Sunday morning, we have our first service we go to or our second service we go to. And some of you, like, you know, I go to two services. And, and you know, and then we got Wednesday night we come to and, and maybe we might, if we've really been good, go to prayer on Tuesday night. And we have those events and other than that, we have our schedules and we have, you know, and I'll give God those times. But that wasn't the attitude they had. And I know we all, you have jobs and things like that. But we have to be open if God moves. Are we going to let Him? If God moves and, and He's not ready to end the service when we normally end it, and this, is a cha- this is where He's challenging me. I like to know the beginning and I like to know the end. I won't tell this secret to the second service people, but that's why some of you come first service. Because <laughs> you know He's got another service, He can't go too long. God tells on some of you. (laughs) Now, no pointing. (laughs) I'm like you are. I like the routine. Especially if the Patriots are on at 1 o'clock. Or whatever. No, I'm just... Some of you, that's what you're like. The question, the challenge to us, if we really want God to use us, are we willing to set our schedule aside and allow Him to adopt His schedule for His church. Are we willing? But I guarantee you, if that's what God chooses to do, it won't be boring. (laughs) All right, we better move on. All right, now let's go to Matthew chapter 18. We'll wind this down. A lot of talk and discussion that Jesus has in here about the church and what the church, discipline in the church and all those things. We're going to just start out in verse 19. 
And again I say unto you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, he's talking about praying together, it will be done for them for my Father's heaven. Why? Verse 20. For where two or three of you are gathered together in my name for my purpose, I am there in the midst of them. Now, there are churches that are gathered together this morning, and he's not in their midst because their people aren't gathered together in his name. They've gathered together to fill an obligation, they've gathered together to look good to other people, they've gathered together for all kinds of other reasons, but in his name, means be in his service, in his, for his purpose, for, to worship him, to serve him, to be used by him. But he says, if you come together in my name, I will be there in your midst. Now remember in Acts 1, we saw when he gathered, they gathered together, what did it say? He was there among them. So if that becomes our purpose, and that's our purpose, that that's our purpose this morning, then he is here in our midst. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians 11. And you're going to get an understanding of communion that you may never have had before. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 17. Paul's been correcting them on some things and now he's going to correct them on the way they conduct and why they conduct their communion service. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together. So they were coming together, all right. They were assembling together, but they weren't considering one another. I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, how is their coming together not pleasing to Him? How is their coming together not strengthening Because if you look earlier, you see there was factions and divisions in the church. First of all, when you come together, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe you. In other words, there were factions, there were cliques in the group, in the church. I don't want to shock you, but there are cliques in this church. Ooh! He said it. (laughs) Hey, he's coming back. I got to stand before him with whether I said the truth or not. We've got to stand before him with what we do with it. He says, you come together, but it's not for better. It's for worse. Well, but they felt blessed. The gifts of the Spirit were moving. They were having a great time. But they were looking at it in terms of what they got out of it. Who it was not the better for was the Lord who was among them. See, when we come together, we're not the only ones here. He's here. Do we come wondering how He feels when we leave? When we leave, is He the better for our having gathered together? Or is his body the worse? Because he says there's factions among you. And I believe it. Verse 19. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, they were all posturing for position. 
Who was going to be the most important? Which was going to be the elder? Which was going to be the deacon that was seen the most? Which was going to be seen by other people? Look at verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. See, we call it communion, but they called it the Lord's Supper. It's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating... Each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry and the other is drunk. What was happening is they were coming together and they were bringing their food, which is what they did. They would eat together. They would share together. But they would separate off into factions, into little groups. And in one group, you'd have people that didn't have any food. In other groups, you had people that didn't have any food. They were getting drunk in church. And they didn't have an attitude where they were cared about the other people because they didn't see them as one. They didn't see them as the Lord's body together. Your body doesn't work that way. If one part of you has a need, the rest of your functions are designed to meet that need. You get a splinter in there and it begins to get infected. Red blood cells are issued to go forth and attack that infection and they come from other parts of your body that could look and say, hey, what's a little splinter to me? It's a need. It's a need. We all know the concept, but the concept won't get us anywhere. It's the doing of it. In fact, James says, if you hear the word, but you don't intend to do what you hear, you deceive yourself. And there are many Christians today that are deceived. They think God's working through them and wonderful things are happening, and they don't recognize that He's not happy. He's not pleased because he looks at them in terms of what are you doing in the body? What are you doing for the body? What are you doing for me, not for yourself? We're talking about getting ready because he's coming back. He's going to ask some questions. Verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I receive from the Lord. These are the verses we've used for years for, for, for communion, but you're going to get a different context now. I receive from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks and broke it, he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I know that many of you came from churches that taught that what this means is it literally becomes his body. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is treat this as you would my body. Because we don't have time to get into it this morning. This was a covenant meal. When he shared that last supper with them and gave them these instructions, it was a covenant meal because he was about to cut a covenant with God on that cross. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, you'll see in, in Galatians chapter 3, he was the seed of Abraham, the seed that fulfilled the covenant. Everything was on hold, the fullness of it was, until he went to that cross. Because on that covenant, Jesus' body was broken. In the breaking of that body, he cut a blood covenant with God the Father for the benefit of you and me. And so when we receive the Lord's table together, we're receiving, we're celebrating together a covenant meal. The purpose of a covenant meal was it was remembering the commitments that was made at the execution of the covenant. 
It didn't enter a covenant. It remembered, memorialized a covenant that had been entered into. And Paul is correcting them here because they've got an attitude. They're a bunch of individuals and cliques that hang out together in a thing they call church. And he says, you don't, when you come together and you're eating the Lord's table, you're going over a covenant meal, but that covenant is a covenant of unity and you're divided. And it goes on and says the same thing about the cup. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily or in an unworthy manner, that means with the wrong attitude about it, you will be guilty, look at this, of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, checking your heart, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner... Not, look at this, this is what's unworthy, not discerning the Lord's body. When we come together to share the Lord's table, He's here in our midst because He said He would be. And we're sharing what represents His body, and we're sharing what represents His blood to celebrate the union we have with Him and with each other. But if we're divided, if we're fractionalized, if we're just a bunch of individuals, we're sharing it in an unworthy manner. It's not like we're dropping it, but it would be better almost to drop it on the floor. To treat it as common is what he's saying here. Instead of recognizing what we're doing. Now he goes on to say, and we've got to end, he goes on to say, verse 30, for this reason, you don't hear this preached very often, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That means they've gone on. If we judge ourselves, this is the good news, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, that's the Lord's table, wait for one another. Consider one another. But if anyone's hungry, if you're, really, if you're eating because you're hungry, then let him eat at home. In other words, don't come to do this because you're hungry. Come to do this because you're celebrating something together lest you come together for judgment. The rest I'll set in order when I come. 